All right, everyone, welcome back to episode two of Junto Talks. We are back in the lab, <laughs> ready to get cracking at uh, some issues that happened uh, this past week. So it is me, Adam Novak, to my right, got a Kosh Shetty. Yes. And to my left, I got Aiden, but he doesn't have a last name, guys. No last name. <laughs> this man. Aiden Mystery. Aiden Afraid of Getting Canceled. Aiden Afraid. That's my last name. <laughs> okay. Amazing. Okay, so uh, where to jump into? So why don't we start off with uh, some of the news in um, AI recently. One, I, one thing I wanted to, to bring up was this company called Do Not Pay. And... Don't know if you guys are aware, but Do Not Pay was a startup that came up a number of years back, and they were first sort of this guy um, from Stanford's side project to help him not pay for his parking ticket. And apparently, if you dispute a uh, you know charge with the government, like a parking ticket, a small little fee, uh, if you work hard enough to dispute that the government in some cases will just kind of let it slide and then you know give up on it because it's not worth their resources to keep disputing with you. Well, if you can just automate that away and have a robot dispute the, the human on the other side, it's a nice little way to save time and save you a $50 parking ticket. And so this guy you know turned that into a whole company. Now they're trying to leverage this AI boom into being more than just parking tickets disputing and now they're they, they call themselves the world's first lawyer uh, their their tagline is fight corporations beat bureaucracy and sue anyone at the press of a button which is which is pretty big <laughs> it's crazy i mean you could always buy a lawsuit you could always buy a lawyer but now it's gonna be a lot of cheaper right you could just buy a language model to do it uh, i i'm reading here They've contested 250,000 parking tickets, won 160,000 of them, the majority of them, all free of charge. And now they're trying to expand out into different areas. Um, is that good for the legal system? Do you want to be able to, I mean, you can already buy a lawyer on demand. You can buy a lawyer to sue anybody for the most ridiculous thing in the world as long as you pay them. Mm -hmm. Is it a good thing that you democratize access to the law? Or is it bad that it's this idiot bot that's doing it for you? Well, here's here's what's interesting to me. The fact is, this idiot bot is working apparently, <laughs> which begins to make you like ask the question: Is it the is it is the is the point that if you have enough money to argue a claim, you can get anything off your back? So now, like you said, this is democratizing the process. Now anyone can do this. Is this is this actually making the playing field equal, or is this really just a pain in the butt and right. it really should be taken down? So if they're succeeding, then it calls into question the expertise of the lawyers, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what were they getting paid so much for? The American Bar Association artificially restricts the number of law schools that are available and the number of people who can graduate from law programs every Interesting. year. Interesting. So this is what all trade associations do. They don't want more lawyers around. That's just going to drive down the price of being a lawyer. And so if you can replace that with a chatbot and you can get the <laughs> same level of legal representation for free, I mean, why not? That's a good thing. Well, this lawyer from Do Not Pay can now argue for you in court, too. So this is crazy that he posted on Twitter. I will give a million dollars to anybody who lets me argue a Supreme Court case with my chatbot. I will put an earpiece in your ear and my chatbot will tell you every single word to say to the Supreme Court. 
Supreme Court said, no, you're not allowed to do that. There's a ban on electronic instruments in the Supreme Court room. And that was their technicality to make this uh, disallowed. That's, that's a thing. There's a ban on electronic equipment in the Supreme Court room. But is that the kind of thing that's going to hold? Are we as a society going to decide that we don't want AI involved in the lawmaking process? And so we're just going to like ban it altogether, even if it's totally capable of passing the test, as we're kind of seeing. Yeah, I don't know. Bringing AI into into the Supreme Court now you're asking you're asking a lot of different questions. And if the Supreme Court said you know no no AI chatbot in chatbot in your ear while arguing a court case, I have to say I'd agree with them honestly. Are you allowed to consult paper files? Are you allowed to consult the internet? You are. Yeah, you, you are. are. Wait, What's you're the allowed, difference? Wait, wait. How how are you allowed to consult the internet? So you're not allowed to consult the internet in a Supreme Court room. You are allowed to pay LexisNexis to give you legal documents that you know relate to your case, and you are allowed to use you know uh, SparkNotes briefs written by other lawyers about like a certain field. And mm -hmm. so what's what's the principal difference between a chat bot and any of these other forms of information synthesis? Are you allowed to use those in the like are you allowed to pull up, you know, your laptop and pull up those spark notes in the In court? a normal courtroom, you're allowed to use a laptop. In the Supreme Court apparently not. Mm. Hmm. Well, my concern you're asking what's the difference. My concern is uh, we've kind of discussed off the air about the biases that AI can have. Um do we want to like place, I guess, like the fate of some people's lives or, you know, like the fate of some businesses in the hands of a chatbot that's built on models on data that we've currently accumulated? Or is it more of a like, is there is it more necessary that we have a human interaction, that there's there's a human thought process behind it and it's, it's rationalized that way? Right. Uh, I think a lot of again, I don't think I don't think law it's a science at all. And I don't think we can turn it into a science. It's not. The whole point, actually, of the United States common law system, right? We have what's called common law, uh, whereas like a European countries like France, for example, their law is codified. Uh, there's you know law number this says this, law number this says this. In the United States, we hear cases and as they come up, and when they come up, the judges rule, and then we decide on, on precedent, right? So we're more on a case by case mm -hmm. basis. Uh, that's supposed to spur investment. We're supposed to it's supposed to be more efficient. So those de those decisions like become the new. Sure, sure. So, law. so human right. wisdom is codified in these case-by-case -case decisions. You can explain your reasoning each time. Mm -hmm. But how do you know the humans are doing any better than a chatbot would? One of the best arguments as to why AI is biased in a legal setting is if you train an AI to mimic the judgments of a jury, juries are known to be racist. Uh, judges are known to give lenient sentences after lunch and harsh sentences before lunch when they're hungry. Mm -hmm. Some famous study on this. Who knows if it would actually replicate? But these kinds of biases exist in humans. Why not put it to the test? Why not say you as a client have a choice? If you want to pay for a lawyer who has a degree, go ahead. If you don't, do what you want. Hmm. So, so okay. I mean, I'm okay. First of all, I I should clarify. I'm not opposed to it being used in the future, right? I think like right and like or in the future as an after we've kind of whose decision should that be on whether or not it's used in Supreme Court and, and like the legal system in general. Yeah. Uh, uh hmm. Well, okay. I don't think it should be the decision of the Supreme Court justices. I I can start there. Okay. Um. The individual plaintiff or defendant could choose whether they want a human or a chatbot, or the regulators 
the yeah. Congress. Congress, right. That, I was thinking of Congress. Could come in and say, hey, now I think what yeah. we should what we should first do at the least. I mean, I don't know if I'd be curious to see how have uh, wait, so have have has this has any AI actually you know represented someone in court so far? Because if if they if it has, it'd be fascinating. If if it has not You'd want to at least try some trials out. Yeah. Right? That, like right. Have some mock trials where right. AI is. They're probably not quite good enough yet. Like, they, yeah. there is some model, I believe, that was credited with passing the bar exam. Um, but, like, they fail over, like, longer context windows. ChatGPT can only handle, like, 4,000 words at once or 8,000 words at once. And, like, mm-hmm. there's a lot more words than that in a legal hearing. And so, like, we are talking about the future. But in small cases like the parking tickets, mm-hmm. it has succeeded already. So it's a, yeah. there's a there's a straight line you can draw from what we have now. So parking tickets about. are basically like useless at this point. Like they're they're old technology. What do you mean? Like like they're not gonna if, if someone is do not pay, they're gonna win. They're gonna beat out the government. Well is this a hundred percent success like what's the success rate on this do we know? Sixty percent. Sixty percent? Yeah. And I would say it requires very little personalization. Like it could just be that asking your city official to get rid of your parking ticket with no justification whatsoever, just like a totally banal thing. It's like sometimes it works. Well, so sixty percent is the rate when maybe like earlier on, maybe I don't know if that was like you know maybe some early data. I wonder if as people start to use this more and more, right? If the city councilor is getting just load like boatloads of requests to cancel parking right. tickets. Sure. Yeah. What's going to happen there? So that's another scary thing. What if people become immune to certain kinds of communication? Before, when somebody said something, it meant something. But now on the internet, you have all these bots, and so you can't trust anyone. And you just have to tune out an entire, maybe. uh, So one of the examples we were talking about earlier was AI lobbying. There's this guy, John Nay, at Stanford Law, who does research on how AI can be influenced in the law. And he thinks AI has no place in the law. He wants the law to be a human institution Mm -hmm. uh, that codifies our values and that shows what we care about, and AI can pursue that. He did a study showing that AI can look through all the bills in Congress, look through the companies that they might affect, figure out what interest each company has in each bill, and write a letter to the relevant Congress people advocating certain changes to the bill that would benefit the company. If you had that available on a mass scale, what would happen to how Congress people listen to their constituents? Would they listen at all? Would they read that mail or would they just know that it's garbage? Well, I mean, okay, if we think of this from a realistic point of view, would so would it be like a business sends like a thousand requests to like to Congress? Sure. So over- most businesses don't lobby on okay. legislation that's relevant to them. Right. But if you could very easily do so, if there were we are AI lobbying.co and we will send a letter to whoever you need for, you know, a couple bucks. I think the problem of like getting a, an influx of meaningless uh, sort of like messages and, um, you know, letters like, for example, with do not pay is certainly an issue. But I feel like this issue would be would be separate because I feel like I can imagine a reality where the you know government uh, officials don't aren't aware that these letters if, if they're getting, you know, tailored letters, but. There's a, there's a good chance they might not be aware that that this uh, you know technology right. was used to target them if it's not in mass if it's just tailored but in a early on you're quantity. successfully pretending to be a human and so you can benefit but later on maybe they realize that well you're probably just a bot and so they tune you out 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- we kind of already do this to some extent. Like, like if you look at any of your social media DMs, you probably have bots in there. And the first couple times, you know, mm-hmm. the first time you ever saw a bot, you're like, oh, whoa, who's this person? True. Right now, right. you're like, True. oh, bot. So is this going to be the re- callers? Well, nobody oh, picks up. Great. Nobody picks True. up phone calls from an unknown True. number. Exactly. So is this the return of handwritten letters? Yeah, you know, you could you know? automate handwriting. That won't be the bottleneck. You well, could, but you could automate typing a lot easier. And I, so I'm dismissing a very good point. What about steak dinners? What about personal relations? Exactly, exactly. If you can't trust communication from a distance, maybe that personal element, which is even more biased towards certain people who are in the in group, maybe that becomes more important. Yeah, I I think you know w- with COVID we brought on like virtual workspaces and and obviously connected the world a lot through Zoom and remote work, but I don't think I think the steak dinners, the golf course meetings, the in person like. <laughs> The in-person client meetings. So consultants um, were actually- another industry that does a lot of that. Yeah. What, what industry <laughs> is that? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, this, no, is, but- this is coming from the um, the head of uh, one of USC's <laughs> top consulting groups. Just so everyone knows. <laughs> no, no chance. No chance. Uh, no, I am a business major here at USC. And um, no, one thing we are seeing, I was actually at a talk today with the dean of the Marshall School of Business. Um, and the CEO of Didi uh, Mexico. Have you guys heard of Didi? No. Didi is this is this a dating app? No. Didi is is uh it's, it's like a rideshare service made by China. Oh right, right, uh, right. It's a competition to Uber. Right. Uh, they actually like they fought like a huge, quote unquote, war like over the customer base in China and, and Didi won, and now they're spreading to Mar- uh, Mexico. And so the dean of, of Marshall was uh, had a talk with the uh, CEO of, of Mexico Didi. And he was saying the importance of in-person meetings and going to these like Mexican cities and talking to your users is so important. You can't just get digital data and then run like some sort of data analytics on it and, and, and pull an answer, right? It needs to be done in person. Those relationships are so valuable. It empowers your team. I think we're going to see maybe a come up in this kind of in-person interaction. Interesting. It would seem to me that the existence of Uber is a rebuttal of that argument. Nobody okay. who works for Uber knows who they work for. They don't have a boss. The boss doesn't have a face. Who's the CEO of Uber? Uh, <laughs> who's the CEO of Uber? Who cares? <laughs> you get paid. You download the app. You sign up, and you're talking from a you from don't a dri- need from any a driver's per- perspective. That's right. And from an individual's perspective, you say request car. And you get in and you might say hello and hopefully you have a conversation with them. But a lot of people don't. It's just a you take the personal interaction out of the experience. You mm-hmm. totally commoditize it. You make everyone just an, a, a cog in the system. And people actually like that a lot more. Uh, you can make good money doing it and it's a lot cheaper to get around. Yeah, I would I would argue, though, it's, if people like that, not because they don't have to deal with humans. It's more because of the flexibility that. Uh, being employed by a rideshare service can offer you, right? You can choose your hours. Right. It's not actually nice to not have a boss. Yeah, right. You know, because there's, there's downsides to it, too. The remote work trend. It used to be that, you know, many of your best friends might be in your office. But now you live on a beach in, you know, Peru. And sure, your software engineering job is nice, but surfing is even better. Yeah, exactly. And, and um I think we saw with actually like the housing market, there was a theory that um, millennials were 
we're not going to move to like suburbs and just kind of kind of stay in like urban areas um have less of like a neighborhood community feel and more of just like an urban we live in an apartment and we do our things on zoom uh and that was actually proven wrong we did see like demand from millennials for suburban homes um so i i think that human interaction is it's not like gone because of covid are you pro city or pro suburbs i was just i was just gonna say i think i think you can see both i think i think the process you're describing aiden is more of a what would you describe it like a commodification of our sort of like um like the transactionalization of maybe sure. some relationships R- relationships don't scale software scales take the people out of it and you can you know just make it a lot cheaper a lot yeah bigger. i mean i mean isn't this just market efficiency though like how 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 awesome how much of a relationship before Uber did you have with your yellow taxi cab driver in New York City? That's a good point. Now, now you can yeah. get in an intimate space, exactly, and you could you could talk with them. Maybe you know, Aiden. I know you're just on your phone reading through, like looking through Twitter, <laughs> but like anyone <laughs> yeah. else, listening could. to audiobooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, anyone else could talk to uh, the the Uber driver, and that's something that you would you never had the opportunity for before. That that's yeah. a I could I that's could I could see you know. Um, yeah, there's, uh, you know, if you're Uber CEO, we still know who this guy is, but okay. if you're, if you're, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually did, it's, <laughs> it's like Trevor Cal something. It's Dara, I'm going to, I'm going to murder his last name. It's Dara Kosrowashahi. If you're Dara Kosrowashi, you could easily argue Kosrowashi. Uber's in a lot of social good for the world. You're creating opportunities for new interactions between, between Airbnb, economic same classes, same thing for Airbnb. You're, you're, mm-hmm. you're enabling, you know, anyone to make an extra buck after their nine to five it's incredible it's incredible stuff yeah yeah i mean i i think it's incredible the fact that like we were talking the ceo of dd um mexico was talking about um how now people get angry when you don't get a ride in in under five minutes I mean, if you think about that, right, you, you you press a button on your phone, and if you don't get an Uber or Lyft in under five minutes, you, mm. you, you get pissed. You're like, you, you, what's you mean, going on? Like, You mean Lyft shared? Shrift? Yeah. Or like, Everybody's you, up in arms. Could you imagine if you had to explain to someone now that, oh, yeah, back in our day, we used to go out and yet wave our hand in the street, and then <laughs> someone would see us, and, you know. No, no, wait. You said the word shrift. Can you can you explain that? At, at USC, because we're the University of Spoiled Children, they pay for us to uh, shuttle around the local neighborhood in free lifts. Uh, some say it's a safety measure. There've been a couple USC students killed in the last ten years. Whatever your opinion of it, last year they moved from you get your own lift uh, and it shows up, you know, pretty quickly, like in like two three minutes, to you have to share a lift with somebody else. Uh, the drivers get paid less, and so there are fewer drivers, and it might take you know five minutes or fifteen minutes or an hour before somebody shows Literally up. Literally an hour. And so, I've started walking home, but some people live further from campus than I do. In any case, it's not something the students are happy about. I'm not happy about it. I want the change right now. I mean, <laughs> says the uh, the consultant boy. Yes, the consultant boy says. Now, consultant boy, uh, any any news in the um, the finance world uh, as of recent? Uh, Can I go back I got- on this ChatGPT finance thing? Yeah, sure. Yeah, kick it off. So, Citadel is negotiating with OpenAI to get an enterprise-wide contract for ChatGPT so that everybody can use it. Um, on the other hand, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo and Bank of America have all banned ChatGPT. Yeah. Um, 
my understanding of the case for banning it is that a lot of it is legal. Maybe that's just a scapegoat, but traders get in trouble all the time for like talking about sensitive things on WhatsApp and like you're not allowed to talk about things on WhatsApp. Literally every conversation inside of a bank that happens in text needs to be saved and you know available to the SEC in the case of an investigation. Mm -hmm. And so like if you're using ChatGPT, you probably need some legal protections around that. You probably shouldn't be going into your browser and like talking about your clients' accounts. Um, on the other hand, that is a total, totally solvable technical problem. Citadel is probably just going to get OpenAI to hook them up with like an SEC compliant version of a chatbot that you can talk to and yet remain secure and doesn't leak your data to anybody else. And so mm -hmm. it's more of a, a deeper question. Is the chatbot good for the finance business model? So, okay. So by chatbot, you mean like ChatGPT? Yeah. It, I guess it depends what you're using it for, right? So I'm currently working a finance uh, internship at um, Simplify Asset Management. It's an asset management fund in New York. I use ChatGPT almost like every day when I when I work for them to troubleshoot random issues, right? If I'm trying to build an Excel formula, I'll have ChatGPT help me. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to figure out what the definition of a word is, I'll have ChatGPT help me, right? And so if it's for these cases, like, yeah, sure, Citadel employees can have that. Why not? Mm -hmm. Um, I... I it's like if they're if they're already gonna be using it anyways, you might as well have it be, you know, within I, the Citadel system and have it be like sure. Tracked, but right? you could prevent them from using. Okay, it, so that's and that's the Wells Fargo approach. What will what will they do? Is it useful to have them? Use well, right. So I guess the question is like, what's the use case here, right? Like, um, what if it's writing investment memos that are eventually read by your investors? What if it's uh, you know, we've seen these like uh, GPT to like PowerPoint slides, like yeah. designing PowerPoint slides is one of the worst parts of being an investment banker sure. or being a consultant. They have to look beautiful. And these people put an incredible amount of work and attention to detail to ensure that every font is the same size and everything is aligned in the exact same portion of every page. And it's a waste of very talented people's time and effort. And so if you could automate all of that, mm -hmm. I would say that's good for the industry. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing. So, okay, if you can automate like building a pretty slide deck, sure, go do it. I I'm all for that. Investment memos, you start to walk on a thin line, right? I think we have to keep in mind how fragile our like financial and economic system is, how many people are relying on it. And if we just have analysts taking information, pumping it into ChatGPT, taking what comes out and, and putting it on a memo that then some senior banker uses to make like an investment decision, I mean, we're, essentially what we're doing is I guess we'd in some cases be basing like the US economy on like a chat GPT output if that makes sense right so I think back like 2008 2008 have you guys seen the movie The Big Short mm -hmm. yeah so a perfect perfect example of like people not doing their due diligence just like seeing things accepting it and like putting it out there right and I think mm -hmm. I mean I'm just making like a theory here but I think these banks are saying if you're using chat GPT you're turning off half your brain do the due diligence yourself, look at it, and then, okay, now back to the legal point. Now, if there is a legal problem, we have someone we can point the finger to and, and we can backtrack, but if we're using ChatGPT, like, who, who are you going to point your finger at? How do you look at 2008 and say the banking industry is using its whole brain? The bar oh, no, is that's not exactly, that high. Well, no, yeah, yeah, sure, if, the bar is not high. If can beat your analysts, who cares? Well, so... My hope would be that after 2008, we realize we have to use more than half our brain. And to do that, I don't think we can just fully rely on, on ChatGPT yet. What if ChatGPT is the other half of our brain? What if that's, what if that's the, 
the secret sauce. Well, I, again, it's like, going. It, it goes back to use case, right? Like, I can't think of a use case in which you'd have like ChatGPT. That's the best case. If it can augment our capabilities, if it can automate the PowerPoint slides and you know help you uh, with some arcane formula or like technical definition, but you are still applying good human thinking, then that's the best. I case. think this is a good point though that um, that you like. How do you? Like it's 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 obviously a great if it could be an accessory and mm -hmm. a boost to your thinking, but we can imagine a, a world where it's it's a crutch and we stop mm -hmm. thinking. And I know that there is, I I read this book. I forget exactly what it's called. Um, oh, the glass the glass ceiling. I read this a few years ago, and it it sort of a um, looks at um, you know case studies of automation and how that has sort of like actually brought down people's um, skills in certain fields so mm. like pilots for example are mm. um, on the on the whole crashes have gone down mm. but pilots are now less capable of sort of maneuvering a plane um, in certain situations in, in dangerous situations because mm. of how good autopilot has become right. and so it's a weird balance of like I, I'm, I'm pretty sure the data is that we are safer now with autopilot but yeah. pilots are also less um, prepared to to deal with those scenarios, and you could you could argue that there's a there's a you know the same kind of thing applies, yeah, in anywhere. Adam, we were talking about AI safety the other day, and that is one of the main challenges identified as if humans are taken out of the driver's seat, if the main decisions are being made by AI, mm -hmm. then maybe it will fail in certain unexpected ways that a human wouldn't have failed. Right? Maybe it will misunderstand human values or have other motivations where it won't be perfectly trained to do what we want and we'll just rely on it we'll just trust it and these questions of like oh what stock trade to make uh exactly. what high level strategic question uh what's your answer to it um, those are just so difficult and we won't be able to evaluate their answers and we'll end up in a place very different from where we had gone if we actually were in the driver's mm. seat the whole time but then it begs the question is it i mean is it it's that decision might be the right decision, even if you can't un like understand it and justify it. Like you know, if if there's knowledge that this um, you know AI is producing, whether it's like in in science or whether it's a certain decision, a financial decision that you can't quite wrap your head around and explain, but it is the right decision. Where we are now, that's the side I'd be on. Uh, Turing test for finance. If you can't tell the difference between ChatGPT's output and the investment banker's output, mm -hmm. then you're probably not better off with one or the other. Maybe you are demonstrably better off than one or the other. And then the human-led firms will outcompete the ones that adopt AI. So, yeah, sure. Uh, and okay. if that's how the market handles it, that's fantastic. And it, it'll be nice to know that humans still have something. Honestly, true. You know, yeah. and I, you know, in all of this, it's it's good, I think, that we have a Citadel and a Wells Fargo mm. where there is there is competition. There is a, mm -hmm. two different approaches being used. Right, right. But in other industries where things are, results are hard to measure, um, yeah. say consulting. Consulting is high-level strategy questions that pay over pay off over years. True. Um, they seem to index very heavily on prestige, uh, yeah. and you know they want everything to look really proper because it's really hard to know whether the advice is good or not. And so, if you just replace that advice with stock advice from a chatbot, does anything actually change in the industry? I think those industries where you can't measure results, you'll see an emphasis on the human touch the human connection you'll say that you can't just measure us by our results you can't just look at the advice we're giving you you have to look us in the eyes and you have to shake our hands and that's how you know it's good 
Yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's okay. that steak dinner. Okay. Here's consulting boys. Uh, consulting boys. Question to you guys. Pretend you know. Uh, you both each have your own companies, and it's worth, uh, billions of dollars, and, and you're in charge of it. You're the CEO. Um. And okay, maybe you're not. Maybe you're not the owner of the company. Maybe maybe like you know you're just employed by the board, and you're the CEO. And you're making it. You're making a decision. Okay, you're making a strategic business decision. Do you want to have, you know, your research done by ChatGPT, and then you're going to take the strategic decision, and there's a risk that shit hits the fan, everything goes wrong, and now when the shareholders come asking, "What's up with this?" You're going to say, "Oh, we use ChatGPT," or okay, go ahead. You're shaking your head at me. I was all on board with you. Yeah. Right now. There are so many people who are so much more intelligent than a chatbot. Yeah. More awareness of strategic factors. You're going to get better decisions out of top human beings. And that's how it should be. And chatbots will lose in the market. Yeah. But if the reason that you're not using the chatbot yeah. is because you wouldn't be able to justify it to some outsider, not because the outcome would be worse, uh -huh. but because the optics would be worse, that people like people and would be more mad at you because they don't like chatbots then I don't think that's a good explanation. And if 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, we're in a world where non-human intelligence is significantly competing with human intelligence, then just judging things based on whether it's human should not be the standard. Okay, so so to your point, currently, okay, I think human intelligence, I don't think that the technology for like AI is there right, yet. So I, right. I agree. In the future, what I would say is, I think of, I think of business as as a, like a subject of people, right? It's a people field. And so you can look at it from a shareholder point of view or you can look at it from a management point of view, right? Um, I feel that if you are running a business and you're trying to make a strategic decision and justify it to your own employees or your shareholders, having someone with industry experience come in, uh, you know, experience over and they've seen this problem multiple times, come in, explain it to you, dive into the human aspect of it. I think people would resonate, resonate with it better. They would execute the plan better. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't, th I think so much of business again is, is tried to break down into a science. Like people try to break even finance into a science, into a, into a math, uh, like a math subject, but it's, I don't think it is. I think finance and business is a field of people. But where has the progress been seen? You know, the field of technology is growing fast and sure there's people relations in technology, Yeah, but being a quant, being mm -hmm. a financial trader seems to be a lot more valuable now than being, you know, a handshakes and I know a guy and, you know, I, believe me, I've worked on the front lines. Yeah. Um, and in every industry, it seems like companies that were able to assist, you know, Chick-fil-A. I was reading an article about Chick-fil-A's quantum computing, no, AI systems operating on the edge. In every Chick-fil-A restaurant, there are hundreds of sensors. They measure how many chickens are on the like lineup, like microwave thing. They measure like how many people are ordering what per second and how fast things are cooking and how much excess grease is being dumped in the trash can. And they do this to optimize how many shipments of chicken nuggets are they going to send to which shop at which time? And you know, how is their shipping route going to connect everything? Sure. They're just a home style fried chicken business run by conservative Christians who close on Sunday. Sure. But they are so high tech, so automated. Mm. They take that human judgment out of the picture and get better results. I, I would disagree. I, okay, I totally agree that technology should be used in business. And yes, use the, use the data. Use, use AI as a part of your business to enhance your business operations. But like you said, there's other aspects to Chick-fil-A that make it perform well. The fact that 
it is a Christian owned business and closes on Sundays, I think appeals to some people. Uh, and then he, well, here's my, here's my main point. Don't, don't, don't we all know that at Chick-fil-A, the customer service, isn't that a talking point? True. They're very nice. Right. They're very nice. And we all go there and we're like, oh wow, this is, this is a nice change from McDonald's. Right. And so like, okay. So I'm, I don't mean to say that human, like, okay, a, technology and AI is, is not going to come into the field of business and it's, it's not science related. It, there's no f- room for it here. But I think I don't see a world in which AI completely uh, okay, people skills the, become more valuable. Yeah. Oh, sure. Okay. People skills become more valuable. That's what that's. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at. Yes. In the 1950s, the U.S. It, like in World War II, we employed computers who were humans who sat at desks computing numbers for us so that we could you know drop bombs. No, did they? They called them computers. They called them computers. Love, That's where the word comes compute. from. I yes. love that. Oh, no I way. People would that. sit there and they would compute things. And there would be like long, there was like a textbook called like, you know, the oh. logarithms of every number from zero to 10 million. And then there was another for oh. 10 million and one to 20, whatever. And that stuff gets automated because you can do that with a computer. But whatever you can't do with a computer becomes all the more important for humans to do. So one of the trends in labor and employment is that uh, education is going up, healthcare is going up, any service sector job um, where it takes a physical human being walking around to do these things, you're getting paid more. There's an article about how Target is now offering $24 an hour plus benefits to anyone who works there. There's a shortage of people to do jobs that only people can do. Interesting. Interesting. I know uh, know that. On on in this space on this note, there's a um, company called Figure AI. Have you guys heard of Figure AI? No. no. Um, look up Figure AI right now. They are building humanoid general purpose robots. Uh, for they they frame it as mainly business use cases. So you know they look they totally look like humans. If you scroll down the page, they're five six. Um, 60 kilograms can run for the whole day wow. and you know at first at first sight you're like well couldn't you know why why build why build a human you know shaped robot a humanoid robot when you could build a robot that serves one particular task better right mm-hmm. you can build a you know um, machine a robot that'll you know walk you know roll across Amazon's warehouse and, you know, lift things up and down as need be. And that'll do a lot better at that job than this particular human will. So it begs the question of where these humanoid robots will um, be most useful. Will they, will these be the employees of Target 50 years from now? Do you adapt your robots to your existing processes or do you change your business processes, your social processes Mm. around the robots that you have? Well, that's a good question right there. It's kind of nice that ChatGPT is so human because you can get it to do all these things that like, yeah, there's probably like a fine, a specific solution, like, you know, the Excel documentation or the like AI model that's trained to predict stock prices or like some very specific resource that could answer this question. But like a smart human, ChatGPT is just very general and can do so many things. And so you don't have to adapt much. It just works exactly how you want it to. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There... I think there are some things that it won't be able to do. It's not very good at robotics. So like mm-hmm. you have very general natural language intelligence, but you don't really have good physical intelligence, right? You can't move around the world. Right. 
and like you said, going back to four, I, I think you made a great point with like people skills become more important, right? Like I, th- I think what you were getting at is when there's a defined answer, like with an Excel formula or something, this chat GPT technology can be, can be really helpful. But, but if the answer is more ambiguous or if we don't maybe necessarily know it yet because it's not hidden in a bunch of information that we need to just search through, like what, what do we do then, right? Okay, we've got three minutes before we should close up. Last time we ended on uh, shooting rockets at asteroids. (laughs) So let's see if we can do better than that. Uh, Adam, you sent out this fantastic event with Andrew Yang. He's got a new book out. Hopefully he runs for president again after Joe Biden in 2024. Um, What do you think of a UBI for the age of human obsolescence, to put it really provocatively? First of all, just quick shout out to the Yang Gang. We uh, we are so strong, and I am so thankful for all of you guys. And so hyped for Andrew Yang to come through this this Monday. Um, back to the, the the point of point on hand, UBI in the age of human obsolescence. I mean, it's my first thought is like you know I I'm, I mean I'm pro UBI. I think. UBI now now when you when you think about this and how things are changing in the long term it's like maybe UBI is really just uh the sort of like the first step it's it's, it's what's going to get us comfortable it's going to get the foot in the door for a sort of like stipend for living right and it seems like uh the the long term solution is that you know in the same way that you get a fire department that will um, you know, put out a fire in your community, you're going to get a, you know, stipend, a, a check just to, to live maybe like 50 years from now, right? Like if, if, if we, if people, if there's not going to be enough of, enough work for everyone, mm-hmm. you either need fewer people or you need people to have a way to live um, without, without working. So I, I, th- I think that, I think that, it seems like I, I would bet that a UBI will pass um, soon, especially with all of this um, this AI uh, sort of like progress in the news everywhere. Um, and I could see people start to push for the UBI expansion. It's it's just sort of like the the slippery slope, right? It's like first we got the UBI, and then it's like, oh well, this UBI isn't enough. And honestly, this is a, this is definitely a fair argument um, from the. Um, opposition of a UBI it's like the slippery slope that once you start getting one check it's like it's easily like okay well this isn't enough to like um, cover this thing either why don't we up it to to 10 from like 10 percent to 20 percent yeah my question with the UBI is like what is like like in the real world what is the implementation process of this look like right so we saw we saw unemployment checks handed out during during COVID and that created a wreck I know I know high school friends of mine who are who are collecting unemployment checks it you know, in terms of like our, our monetary system itself, right? Our economy needs to function. Are are we like by issuing? Every, so it says here every everybody adult, gets money. Everybody every, everybody every gets year, money. Every year, every month, every two weeks, whatever and, you want. And we have a we have a labor shortage right now. Right. right. And so so this is a post scarcity society. This is so do, a, a dream fantasy world we're talking about where uh, AI has taken over all economic productivity. This is not what I expect. This is not my personal belief. It is okay. what Andrew Yang ran on okay. as a presidential candidate. Yeah. Um, if humans don't need to work anymore, we need some way to redistribute the money. Right. And then we need everybody to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. Like, what do you do if you can't work? Well, right. Because if you're just handing everyone $1,000 a month and they're not, like, yeah, what will people do if they're not working? 
I mean, <laughs> that's a good question. I like, would start an Irish pub band. <laughs> for yeah. my best friends, you would learn to play fiddle, Adam. Uh, Akash, you can play the bagpipes. <laughs> the bagpipes. And we would right. we would tour the bars and we would drink the beer and we would play songs and make people happy. Well, so is is that what we is? Do we want everyone starting uh, <laughs> starting these like bands and and or do what like do we don't we need a productive society where people contribute? I I would probably just go into a cave and meditate for the rest yeah, of this is what I mean. You're doing that in this world. You're doing that in a scarce yeah, society. Yeah, he does that when there's a labor shortage, right? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck God, you, America. What would you, huh? what would you do? Oh, man, if I got... Okay, let's see. You would keep working. You would be in charge Yeah, of I would the just AI. dig a hole and then uh, fill it back up and, keep, and dig a hole <laughs> and keep filling it back up, you know? I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's what we do when we go to the gym, right? We just lift weights and put them back down and lift weights and put them back down. And Man. that makes us look good, I guess. I don't know. Maybe that, I just hike a bunch of mountains. And that's a million dollar question right there. What would we do when uh, we don't have to do anything? We would podcast. I think we'd go. <laughs> we would podcast. Okay, talk for another day. Cool. All right. <laughs> well, folks, we'll wrap it up with that. Um, you can catch. Um, me in a cave, you can catch a kosh. What'd you say? Digging a hole. Digging a <laughs> hole. And Aiden um at an Irish pub when our jobs <laughs> get automated by Chat GPT. Oh my god. And with that, we will see you all next episode. Peace. Awesome. See you guys.